You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. All right. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we're going to continue our study of the book of John which the purpose is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name. And so this is the purpose of the book, and as I've shared with you the last several weeks, there is a transition in the middle of uh, the book and where we are, and that is away from primarily a message to the unbelieving world and more a message for Believers, for disciples, that does not mean that we leave behind the reality of the gospel in the lives of the lost. Know this this morning, that if you are here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that the only way you can be saved, the only way you can be right with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no apologies about that. That is the Bible this morning. That is what God has said. And yet there is a need, even in the midst of that, for us to understand how believing the gospel shapes everything in our lives. Not just the moment of confession where we are born again, but the, the entire life of the Christian is changed by believing upon Christ. And Jesus is turning his attention to the closest followers, his 12 disciples and 11 really at this point. Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus. And in these five chapters, he gives some very clear and real encouragement and instruction specifically for those who believe what it means to continue to walk by faith in following Jesus. And and I believe some very helpful instruction and encouragement for us in a world in which we live where most of the world around us does not believe upon Christ. So what does that look like? Well, in the middle of chapter, uh, in the middle of these chapters, in chapter 14, it's an encouragement uh, about what Jesus is doing when he's away from them. And not only that, we looked at that last week, but a continued encouragement about what he's doing among them, even while he's gone. It's an interesting thing to think about. This is one of the clearest pictures in all of the gospel uh, stories about the continued presence and power of God, even among His people, the church, even while Jesus is not here among us physically. And and we get such a clear picture of that. The question in this text is our attitude toward that picture, that body of truth, the fact that Jesus is ever living and among us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, our attitude toward that can be found in perhaps... An ill-informed question that proceeds from the mouth of Philip here in this passage. Ironically, one that showed unbelief, we see an attitude that we must take on 
in our own lives when he asks this question, Lord, show us the Father. The desire of Philip is, I want to know God. I really want to know Him. And I would say to you, Christian, that the deepest hunger of your life as a Christian ought to be to know God. So how do we know Him? And that's the question of this text. Jesus said in John 17, which we'll come to, that eternal life, the very definition of eternal life is that they, that is the disciples, would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you, he's speaking to the Father, whom you have sent. And so I wonder this morning if the deepest longing of your heart, more than you desire anything else, is to really know God. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we look to verses 7 and following, John 14. Jesus says these words, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you do know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on My own authority, but the Father who dwells in Me does His works. Believe Me that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it. Would you pray with Me? Father, I pray that we would cherish this morning what it means to be able to come to You as Father. That we would not only believe the truth of it from Your Word, but that we would feel the great significance of it. That our our hearts would be overwhelmed and swell with gratitude over the grace that's been bestowed on us to know God. To know that this is the very thing that You achieved for us on the cross. Not only the forgiveness of our sins, but that very act would become the gateway so that we could know God. May we not take this for granted. And I pray that the deepest desire of every heart in this room would be to know You. That we would stop at nothing less than knowing You deeply for all that You tell us about You and then to desire to know You more. And even as I pray those things, I am made aware that we have people potentially even in this room who do not yet know You. What it means to really know You through Your Son, Jesus. And so I pray this morning that You would draw the hearts of people to Yourself by Your Holy Spirit 
Lead them into the truth today to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to come to know You as their Father and their God. And then we do pray for all of the children that will sit under the teaching of Your Word this, this week. God, may they come to know You as Lord and Savior because of Your Word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The opening of John 14, which is probably very familiar to you if you were not here with us last week, you've no doubt heard the first six verses of John 14, which ends with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Those words for those who are grieving or hurting or confused or have experienced loss, those words offer profound hope, don't they? Profound hope in a world that is so full of discouragement and destruction. The world in which we live to know that there is a greater hope coming. That this is not all that there is. They offer profound hope for those who believe and trust upon Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. And that through His death and resurrection, He's prepared this place for us. And all who trust in Him, He will come again to receive to Himself that where, where He is, we may be also. There is profound hope in that. I hope that you know that this morning. But built into this promise is the recognition that there, are not just, there is not just one person in this Trinity, but there are Three persons in this Trinity, one of which we'll see next week, but that there are two distinct persons mentioned here, the son and the father. And in closing this hope that we have in the first six verses are those words that the only way to know the first person of the Trinity is through the second person of the Trinity. Namely, the only way to know the father is through the son. Jesus begins with those words in verse 1. He says, believe in God, believe also in Me. And He closes that section in verse 6 when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. The only way to know God the Father is through God the Son. And this is not the only place that this is mentioned. We see it mentioned throughout the, the Gospel of John. And really, we see it mentioned again and again here in this passage. Verse 47, or sorry, verse, chapter 14 and verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How do you know the, the, God the Father? You know him through God the Son. Verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or the end of verse 10, the Father who dwells in me does His works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Unquestionably, the truth of this passage is that to see Him is to see and to know God. It is only through Jesus, only through Jesus, that we see and know God. And that's Jesus' main point. In Jesus, we see and we know God. But the belief that the disciples have here is somewhat of a dull belief. Not quite sure what Jesus means by all of that. This is why 
Philip asked the question, well, Lord, show us the Father. There's some level of doubt that is still there in Philip. Show us the Father. If you'll show us the Father, that will be enough. And that question is built on the assumption that Jesus has not yet offered enough proof of who He is. So Philip asks, just show us the Father, that'll be enough proof for us. You might remember that Philip is one of those guys who's very practical. He's kind of a simple guy. He's a a hands-on kind of a guy. Do you remember in John chapter 6, whenever Jesus says, we'll feed these 5,000 people, and Philip goes, hold on just a minute, Jesus. It would take more than an entire half a year's salary in order to feed all of these people. And you want us to just magically pull this out of thin air? And Philip would then witness the impossible. Philip needs physical evidence. But before Jesus addresses Philip's need for proof, notice he goes straight to the heart of his spiritual blindness. And he says to to him these words in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In other words, Philip's request, the reality that he needed proof, totally misses the fact that Jesus is the revelation of God. To see Jesus is to see and to know God. And that's the main point. At the same time, I want us to be careful that we see this in context because we're very quick to look at Philip and go, well, he just needed more proof. And so if he had enough proof, he would have believed. There is a certain sense in which Philip's request is not all bad. And I want you to see this. Don't harp on Philip too quickly. Remember that Philip is a Jew. And he knows the stories of the Old Testament, and yet he makes this, this request that is almost audacious when you think about the stories of the Old Testament and what Israel has come to know all of this time. Think about it. He knew the story of Moses. He knew the, the event at Sinai. He, he knew that, that the nation was told not to approach Sinai when the presence of God was there. He, he knew that there... There was this moment where Moses came down from the mountain and the glory of God so shone on his face that there had to be a veil to cover it. He knew of Moses' request that he wanted to see God's face. And and in Exodus 33, where God says, you can't see my face and live. No one can see my face and live. You see, the nation had come to know that there was a separation from God the Father and a separation that was commanded by God because of their sinfulness and because of their need for a mediator. And this is where we need to understand that there is a heart's cry in Philip that is different than when he did not know Jesus. He wants to know God. The same heart's cry should be in every believer, a desire to know God. And this is what is so profound about the Gospel, that God Himself has made Himself known to us. That no longer is there this separation between those who've come to know Christ. There is this immediacy about the presence of the Lord where we are able to know God. That's what eternal life is. To know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it should be our heart's cry to know Him. 
In Jesus, we are able to see and to know God. God, show us the Father. We want to see you in all that you are. There's two very real implications for the church as we think about this question and the reality that Jesus and the the Father are, are one. And that is, number one, that we must embrace the necessity of believing that the Father and the Son are one. We must embrace the necessity of believing that the Father and the Son are one. And I want to say to you this morning that every so-called church might call themselves a church. You need to be careful and ask very clearly, what do they believe about Jesus? Because you will find that not every church believes this truth that the Bible teaches. That Jesus and the Father are one. We are what have been historically called Trinitarian Christians. We believe that the Father and the Son are coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal. We believe that the Son and the Spirit are coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal. We believe that these are distinct persons and yet they are one God. This is an essential truth to the Bible. It's an essential truth to Christianity. It's called the Trinity. And you'll see it play out. We'll see this as we walk through John chapter 14. You'll come to the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Son. And there are, there are different roles. But all of these unique persons of the Godhead, all three are one God. And it's essential that we believe this. And this is why Jesus says to Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The character, the power of Jesus is self-attesting. Jesus needs no more proof. He is who He is. And His character and His personhood stands. He is God in human flesh. It needs no proof. And yet, Jesus goes on to say not only that, but there is proof. All you have to do is look at all the things that I've done. Believe me, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. It is unarguable that Jesus is God. And not every religion believes this, and you need to be very clear on that. But it is essential for a biblical gospel. This is in particular what John 1 argued, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then chapter 2 through chapter 13 is filled with sign after sign after sign that what has already been declared to be true is absolutely true. There is no question that God the Father and God the Son are one. And we must believe upon Jesus as God. Embrace that. Secondly, we must feel the wonder of knowing God the Father through the Son. The point here, and, and I want you to see this context, the point here is not just a defense of a Trinitarian doctrine. The point here is that the defense of that doctrine leads to 
the comfort of every believing human heart. You see this? As we walk through, you're going to see this more and more. But where did this all begin? Began? It began with a with a with a group of men in the upper room and Jesus giving instructions because he was about to die, serving them, loving them, and then saying, love each other, giving them this kind of missional charge that as you love each other, the world will see the difference. Leaning into John 14, they're troubled. He wants to give them comfort by saying there's a home coming for them. In the middle of John 14, you're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit in teaching and guiding the church, bringing them comfort, this comforter that was coming. John 15, the need to go on and depend upon Jesus. And on and on and on you get to John 17. Jesus is praying that we would be one even as the Son and the Father are one. It's a picture of the continuing work of God among the people called His church. The point of this is to... Remind Philip that there is a father who is going to continue to work among you. You see, you get to know God as father. You see him and know him because of Christ. And we see it play out throughout the gospel. It's in the heart of this section of John as well. Think about it. When you get to the end of this particular section, verse 14, we're praying. We're praying for things to happen. And who are we praying to? We're praying to the Father. This radical shift in the way that we relate to God, being able to know Him as Father. And this is so incredibly important. As we think about the meaning of life, as we debate in this country about the the legality or not legality of abortion and whether or not it's a woman's right or not a woman's right. And as we enter into this sanctity of life, VBS, know this, that God has created us and fashioned us in His image. And our worth is found in knowing Him as Father. And the only way that can happen is through Jesus. Do you see this? Life has meaning and value and worth because we have a heavenly Father who has created life for His glory and His honor and His purpose and assigned us worth therein because we bear His image. It's a huge, huge truth. And as we approach next week, thinking about Father's Day, we're tempted to think about God the Father in the shadow of our earthly fathers. We, we put God in the framework of earthly fatherhood and say God must be like this. But what the Bible is calling us to is to flip that on its head. To see all versions of fatherhood within the framework of the kind of father God is. Philip, you want to see the Father, you see Him in Jesus. And all doubt is shattered there. And all need is met there, Philip. Everything that you need provided by the Father. And you have seen Him and you know Him in me, Jesus says to Philip. So what does it mean to know God, the Father, through Jesus? We need to nail some things down about that. What does it really mean to know God the Father through Jesus? There are four Ways that Jesus kind of fills that truth out. In Christ, we see and know God. What does that mean? Four different truths we see in this passage. Number one, 
Jesus provides the only way to see and know God the Father. Jesus provides the only way to see and know God the Father. Okay, so verse 6 bears repeating here because there's a transition. It's not just here's verses 1 through 6 and now here's verses 7 through 14. It's Jesus takes what he said in verse 6, or verse, uh, verse six that he said in the negative, no one comes to the Father except by me. He now states it in the positive. He says, I want you to see that I am the way to the Father. It's what he says in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also from now on. Right? So there's a line. It wasn't this way. Now it is this way. From now on, you know me or you know him and have seen him. Why? Because there's a great difference maker in the gospel that brings you to a place that you can know God when you were before in a place that you could not know God. Why is that? From now on, the gospels change this relationship. It becomes the defining difference. And there is a reason. And it is this. It is because not everyone knows God. In fact, by nature, we, we are not born knowing God. And when I say know God, when the Bible says know God, it's not just know about Him. Know some facts. It's not, it's not just being able to explain who He is or what the church teaches about Him. This is an intimate, personal, saving knowledge of God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's not true for everybody. It's a famous TV preacher who was interviewed on Larry King. This has been a number of years ago. You might know of the interview. But the question was asked about other religions. And this question was the end of a long series of questioning. The questioning asking again and again, trying to get down to the point where he finally said, if you have to believe on Jesus, then are you saying that everyone else is wrong? And on the TV on the interview before Larry King and the rest of the watching world, the statement was made, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. But I know they love God. By the way, speaking of Islam, Judaism, and several other world religions that have been discussed on the program. And I want to be crystal clear with you this morning. There is no other way to the Father apart from Jesus. And anyone who rejects Jesus or puts Jesus in the pot with a bunch of other options has not found the gospel. And, and doesn't know God and is not saved and is going to spend, spend forever separated from God because there is a true and one biblical gospel. And it is saving faith through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. The question is why? Why is that true? The Bible teaches that not everyone knows God because everyone has chosen their own way by nature. Every single person on the planet was born in sin. Born with a, a sin nature. Not desiring God, but desiring 
their own way. The Bible says that in John 3, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People run from God because they'd rather have sin than follow the righteousness of God. And so because of our disobedience, because of our transgression of His law, every one of us stands condemned before God. And our eternal destiny is separation from Him. Not to know Him as Father, but to know Him as righteous judge. So to know the Gospel, to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, is not only to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive eternal life in heaven, it is to be with God. Do you realize this? That the Gospel restores us to God. It's the greatest thing that it does. The only way that you know Him as Father is to come through Christ. And because every other way is wrong, don't we want to know and and, and believe the right way? And don't we want to proclaim from the rooftops the right way, the only way in Christ? Isn't this the most loving action that we could take? Because Christ is the only way. We must nail that down. We must nail it down because the Bible is true. Number two, not only does Jesus provide the only way to see and know know God the Father, He perfectly reveals the nature of God the Father. He perfectly reveals Him. Jesus is not some creation of God that came later. Jesus is not some lesser version of God. Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer. Jesus is not any of these things. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, eternally existing, and the perfect revelation of Him. He is the perfect image of the Father. This is what He begins to say in verse 9. He says, have I been with you so long? And watch what he says. He would have expected Philip to know him at this point. And very interestingly, he doesn't say, have I been with you so long that you don't know the father by now? He says that you don't know me. That's his response to the question, show us the father. Jesus says, see me. Why? Because when you see the father, or when you see Jesus, you have seen the father. He is the express image of the father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? They are one. This is what Jesus prays for us, that we would be one in John 17, even as they are one, the Father and the Son. You've seen God on display. John 1.14, we beheld His glory. He is the revelation of God in human flesh. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Or Hebrews 1 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. We look to Him. He perfectly reveals the nature of God the Father. There is a sense in which we as Christians ask the question, what would Jesus do? And what is Jesus like? Simply because we want to know what God desires from us and what God is like. Third, not only does Jesus reveal perfectly who God is, 
and provide the only way to know Him. Jesus speaks when He teaches. When He speaks, He speaks with the full authority of God the Father. This is an issue of His Word. Jesus' Word. Here's what Jesus says in the first half of verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Now keep in mind, again, these are Jews. They've been taught the Scriptures since they were young. In fact, trained even in memorizing the Scriptures because they did not have a copy of their own. It's not like the day where you could just print another Bible out and hand it to your kids. This is where we we begin to pass down the Bible from generation to generation, read from the, the temple so that it would maintain integrity, but memorized so that it could be applied in daily life. By the way, there's a practice for believers. They did this because they believed that when God spoke, it had authority. Right? When God speaks, God has not been silent in our lives. We're not left to wonder what He said. He has been explicitly clear about who He is and what He requires of us. And so, because of that, Jesus says, When I therefore speak, I'm speaking with the very authority of God. These are His words that I am speaking. Not only that, But his words would go on to be what he charged the church with. Do you remember Matthew 28? Jesus came and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Teaching them what? to observe everything that I have commanded them. See, for the believing person, for the one who's trusted in Jesus, turned from sin, given their heart and life to Christ, the Word of God is the Word of Christ, and the Word of Christ bears absolute authority in my life. My life is tethered to God's Word. His testimony of what happened, the acts of Jesus... In the miracles that He performs, what God has done throughout the pages of biblical history, and His commands, what He has told us to do and to believe and to, to, to feel and to live like, this is who we are because we are under the perfect authority of Christ. Jesus teaches according to God's will with all of God's authority. That means if we are really going to believe upon Christ and come to the Father through Jesus, we must obey what Jesus has said. It's amazing to me how much disconnect there is in modern, in modern American Christianity between what the Bible says and what I believe. There are many in American Christianity who call themselves Christians who live with some sense of spiritualness about them, who do good things for people, who attend church Sunday after Sunday, Sunday, but there are glaring inconsistencies in their life when you compare them to the Scriptures. And when faced with that truth, 
it's either labeled as legalism or it's labeled as, well, that's an archaic thing. Or maybe it's just ignored altogether. But I love Jesus. I love God. Friend, that is a non sequitur in, in Christianity. That doesn't line up doesn't line up. Why? Because if we believe upon the Jesus of the Bible who's revealing God to us, He's revealing the full authority of God in what He teaches. And we must obey Him. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it certainly doesn't mean that we can ignore the commands of Scripture either. We must obey Him, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. There's a fourth thing here, and that is that Jesus powerfully accomplishes the work of God the Father. And this begins to get into what we're going to see next week and how, how this plays out in the church, because you see this in a couple of different ways. The end of verse, uh, or, or the end of these verses, verse 11, he says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. There is a sense in which Jesus' earthly ministry, he's performing the works of God. And that for three and a half years, this was God performing things in human flesh. Absolutely, 100% true. It is Jesus who accomplishes powerfully, I might add, the work of the Father. But then Jesus begins to talk about something that is a related issue. And that's in verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And how is that going to happen? I want to tackle a couple of words here in just a second. But he says, greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. But notice what happens, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, who's going to do it? Jesus is going to do it. There, There is a continuing work of Jesus within the body within the the covenant community. Jesus is continuing to work the works of the Father among us. And He does that through His people, through prayer we see here, and through our obedience to His mission. Jesus continues to do that. And by the way, the enabling power to do that is coming in the next text, the Holy Spirit. So you'll see how all this ties together next week. But let's tackle a couple of words. Number number one, what's, what's this word greater all about? It's greater in the sense that there's going to be crazier, more insane kind of miracles. Well, that didn't happen. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus healed the blind. Jesus fed the 5,000. It is unarguable that the supernaturalness of those miracles far exceeds what took place in the church. Although there were some things that happened as well in terms of supernatural miracles. That's not what Jesus is after here. Does he mean more? Well, you can quantify the miracles in the book of Acts and quantify the miracles in the life of Jesus and compare the two numbers and you will find that the number of miracles Jesus performed far outweighs the number of miracles that happen in the church. In what sense are they greater? They're not greater in the number or the magnitude they're greater in the sense that that they are more fulfilling of the ultimate purpose that Jesus had for them in other words that when Jesus fills his church the mission of the cross has already been accomplished the resurrection has already happened 
The gospel is now being preached looking backwards at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it, it takes on a, a greater significance in the sense that people are now not just believing in the identity of Christ, but they are believing upon his name for salvation. That's a different sense altogether. That's what's greater. And he says greater things are going to happen still. He's continuing to work through the church, which then leads to the next thing that we've got to define, and that is anything I ask. Anything you ask, Jesus will do it. See, if you just take that verse and you lift it out of context, it can't be true any longer because you can fill in the blank with whatever you want. But Jesus says anything you ask after saying that I'm going to accomplish the works of the Father through you and anything you ask in my name, which means that align with my will and my authority and my glory, any of those things you ask, I'll do them. He's saying I'm going to continue to work in the same supernatural way as I have for three and a half years through you and so far for 2,000 some odd years. People are getting saved because Jesus is at work here and He's working through the Father. Jesus is at work here and He's revealing the Father. Jesus is at work here and He's teaching with the Father's authority. We see and know God. And so He's accomplishing His work in this place right now. His Word is being preached. He'll accomplish His work this week in VBS as children hear God's Word and prayerfully come to faith in Jesus? What's our responsibility in this? Well, you'll see more of it next week, but certainly we're to pray. Pray to the Father. You you have the wonderful privilege of knowing God as Father. And you can ask, God, will you do great and mighty things for your name? Will you... Will you make Jesus known so that you're known? Would you teach us through your words so we can become more obedient and devoted to to what you teach us? Would you align our hearts so that we're more submissive? God, will you do these? You can pray those things simply because Jesus has restored you to God the Father. So can I ask you again this morning, is your heart's cry to know God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you this morning fit into the category of saying, yeah, pastor. You know, when I've got days I just don't feel close to Him. Other days I feel like I'm on the mountaintop. Man, it's, it's like a roller coaster ride and I, I feel you. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why we need the gospel. So so you might say this morning, I just want to be closer to him. I just want to know him more. And if that's you, I, I want to just say to you that Jesus died to make that possible. There is no separation between you and God the Father because Jesus has restored you into a right relationship with him. He has torn the veil that separated you from His immediate presence and you can come boldly into the very presence of God the Father right now because of Jesus. So would you lay aside every sin and weight that so easily ensnares you? Would you 
Would you run the race with endurance? Would you come before His presence desiring to know Him, confessing your sin, receiving His forgiveness this morning? Others of you this morning, you may fit into a different category altogether. You don't know God. If you're honest this morning, deep within your heart, you know you do not know God. And the only way is that you this morning turn to Christ for mercy. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus who died in your place. Who received your separation from God. Who received God's wrath against you. Today, you can be forgiven Restored to God, know Him as Father if you would turn and trust in Him. Repenting of your sins and believing the Gospel. So in just a few moments, I want to invite you to come. If that's you, right from the place where you'll be standing, step out of that place. Come down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to know God. Will you help me? And I'll lead you to Jesus. And Jesus will take you to God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand with me all across this room? I'm going to pray, and then your time to move is now. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would move in our hearts and that you would move us to to decision and that you would be honored by what happens here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning, even as Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Christ.